This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Monday.com, an amazing tool that allows you to work the way that work works for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guests, yes, plural, are Catherine and Michael Redman. They're the co-founders of Half a Bubble Out, a marketing and business consulting firm. And they're also the co-authors of a, a book we're going to talk about today, Fulfilled, the Passion and Provision Strategy for Building a Business with Profit, Purpose, and Legacy. So welcome, you two. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us, to be John. here. Super good to be here. So... I have had over the years, I've probably had half a dozen married couple entrepreneurs on the show. And I'm sure you guys get maybe almost tired of talking about this subject, but I'm sure that there are a heck of a lot of people out there go, I could no more work with my spouse than so how do you do it? How do you do it? I've actually had my business for 32 years and I've been married for 38 years and I know that there's no way we could work together. <laughs> That's awesome. So we have had our business for... 19 years and have been married 28 years. And I love working with my husband. So, and I love working with my <laughs> wife. He just has to, no, he's, he, he, he does. <laughs> so, I, it's funny because we do get the question a lot. And I think one of the things that we sorted out early on is uh, really what it looks like to bring each other's uh, strengths to the table and own that we have weaknesses. And together, we just do a better job for our clients. We just do. And I, well, and we like it a lot, but yeah. we've had to work through things. And uh, you start saying, okay, I'm going to be committed to how do I make sure that your gifts are there, that we figure out and work through the problem solving. Probably the biggest thing that we were concerned about is not working together, but making sure that our staff didn't feel like they were working for a married couple <laughs> under the terror of a married couple. Yeah. We've, and we both have had various jobs where we worked for married couples that weren't positive. So we definitely know what that looks like where one or the other is a bit of a tyrant. So we've worked really hard. And I think our staff would say they don't feel like they're working for a married couple most of the time. At least that's what they tell us. And, and it's really about culture in the end, no matter if you're a married couple or not and healthy cultures actually it's nice if people like each other. I guess they don't have to like each other to work together, but mutual <laughs> respect and certainly trust each other enough to have meaningful, healthy disagreements. Yeah. And I'm wondering if occasionally, because part of the problem is you've also got like all the other stuff, all the other soup of yeah. being married, which maybe gets can get in the way of the healthy disagreement. So is that something that you've intentionally uh, worked on maybe even? Oh yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that's real important is it pretty much, like you said, culture, it starts with, for us, our own personal culture between the two of us. Are we healthy? Are we making sure that we're short, having short accounts with each other? We don't let things stew and you got to walk, work through things because there are sometimes things that happen at home that you don't want all that stuff to drag to work. Right. So you've got to deal with it, yeah. which causes you to have those ways of saying, okay, we got to have conflict resolution and be mature at that. And then some days you go, we can't solve this fast enough. So we have to be mature enough not to drag it into the office and make it a big deal at work. So sometimes you, just, you have to have that ability to focus on what's important at the moment and come back to something later. But you know that both people will come back to the table and 
yeah. and deal with it. Yeah, there's just a commitment to the resolution of things and to not letting things drag on and on. And that happens, and, and that happens in our leadership too, in our company and with our staff, because we've all been together a long time. That we've got employees that have been with us for years, and one of our leadership team's been with us ten years. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, there's going to be some accountability and some issues and some challenges there. And sometimes she looks at us and she tells me I'm wrong. And on a weekly basis. <laughs> and I thank her for that on a weekly basis. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, we have a good time though. It's it's fun working together. And I think it's fun leading together. It's fun working with company leaders in the kind of realm that we do it, which certainly it was marketing for a long time, but we've transitioned to a lot of, of other things, which obviously we'll talk about with the book. But we just we find that when we're working in our strengths, then Michael is the, he's the one who's going to be asking really great questions and pushing out and really engaging and drawing people out. And I'm really great at helping, helping really take what's swirling in the room and making it into something that is a deliverable that's actually crafted and well-spoken. And so it's a lot of fun to work together. We have a really good time. I opened the show kiddingly about my wife and I. My wife and I are very different, and which actually I think leads to a, a healthy relationship uh, in a marriage anyway. The, those things are actually important. Obviously, you got to have the same ideas about values and things. But being very different, I think, is actually a healthy thing. And I think that's really true about any business partnership as well. There's nothing worse mm. than two like visionaries trying to work together <laughs> because nothing will it ever work well, does it? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, and Michael is definitely, he's the visionary. He's the risk taker. I'm the, I, I've just self-described all along the way as the reluctant entrepreneur. Like, really, we're doing this? Right. What the, okay. Well, and the, sure. pa- the power of partnerships, <laughs> there's some things yeah. that we work with some of our clients where you're talking about the power of partnerships. And people shy away from because there's so many bad stories, yeah. but there's pretty much every great company has some kind of a partnership involved. Sometimes you see the one of them out front more than the other, right. but they don't happen without that. So how do you do that in a healthy way, even if you're not married? And those are critical aspects for any right. company. Yeah. And I actually, uh, two of my daughters actually work for me and have for almost a decade. Oh. So I do have my toe in this uh, water a little bit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Our daughter works for us too. So that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. And really the partnership part, she, my one of my daughters is not actually a partner, but she really runs the company and she is very different than me as well. And she is very process driven. And I'm like, here's what we're doing this week. So it works out, <laughs> works out good. So tell that's me about awesome. half a bubble out. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first one that says, what does that mean? No, half a bubble out. So the first story everybody gets is that it comes from the carpenter's level and the okay. bubble is half out and it yeah. uh, became a different way of talking about being creative and everything else. The real story behind it is when we were newly married and we had our daughter was a little baby, we were making a major transition career-wise and a mentor was talking to Catherine and we were talking about me going back to college and he said, Michael's really smart, but he's a half a bubble out, which meant I'm not quite level Yeah. and everybody might take me a little bit more seriously as and we were in our 20s at the time. More seriously, if I got a college education, I, I got more credible. I don't know if I got any more level. <laughs> he did not get more level. I can definitely attest to that. So when we decided to start a marketing company, that is what Catherine said we need to call it. Yeah. So it's really you to say a little about funny. You're talking to the person who named his company Duct Tape Marketing. Which I really appreciate. <laughs> which I've seen the value of that idea of people going, huh? Tell me about yeah. that. And obviously, yeah. it helps if people know what you do. And it helps if the metaphor 
maybe drives home sort of a positioning. But as long as you're willing to put in the time and, and keep showing up, having a name that I think people people want to ask about is a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I like what you're saying. Put in the time and keep showing up because a blind, we talk about naming companies, blind yeah. names like that yeah. are ultimately more successful companies have blind names yeah. than they do literal names. So it works mm-hmm. out really well. And it's a cool way of when you say, you know what, there are a lot of challenges in the world and it's business. And sometimes you got to look at them differently to solve them. Yeah. So we, we're not quite level and we see, and we see solutions that sometimes you can't see. Well, and I do a little uh, hobby uh, woodworking uh, furniture building. And I don't use a level, but I can appreciate the, uh, the metaphor. I don't care if my stuff's great. There you go. So you talk about the work that you do now as, and we probably should have done the whole journey story, but I think people are getting a sense of your journey. But the work you do now is as a more holistic model of helping you know businesses. And I, I will say that I've found over the years, even though I've called myself a marketing consultant forever, when you're working particularly with small business owners and founders, you're in everything. Uh, no. We might call, we might do direct mail, but we're also going to talk about Betty's second cousin's uncle who wants to buy into the business or something uh, as absolutely. well. Yeah. So maybe I'll give you a little space to lay out what that framework looks like. Yeah. So one of the things that I think there's a Peter Drucker quote and where he basically says, marketing is not a function. It's the entire company seen from the customer's point of view. So what we have grown to really be able to articulate and have codified over um, all of our time and years in doing this is that people often come for marketing, but ultimately it's like they don't know how to talk about themselves. They have enough challenges in their systems that if we were to market for them, it would be like putting stuff in a leaky bucket. They can't keep the leads. They can't. So we've gone to this place where over time we've developed this system that says, okay, if you're going to run a healthy company and you're going to experience what we call passion and provision, which is essentially you're doing something you were designed to do and you make money doing it. Both of those, both of those things can be true. We firmly believe. And if you're going to do that, then you really have to think holistically about your business. So we've created a a simple six part model that says, okay, you got to think about these six things and gain at least minimum working competency so that you can address those things and work with the people who are specialists in those areas. So, yeah, yeah. So I need to, I've, re, I've said this repeatedly, the practice of management is probably my favorite book uh, by mm-hmm. Drucker. And, and mm-hmm. it's one that when people ask me what's been the most influential book, it's not a marketing book uh, necessarily, but I think Peter Drucker's, the way he talked about management really can teach marketers a ton. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. There are a lot of tools out there to help companies get work done. We recently switched over to a tool called Monday and we love it. At first I thought it was just a project management tool, but we use it in many ways to run our entire business. Marketing, sales, task management, even recruiting, and certainly project management. But what I love, the real difference with this one is that it has all these automations built in. So, so much of what we need to get done can be automated in a way that we don't have to keep paying attention. If something gets checked off a list, it gets marked, moved over to done, somebody gets notified. The automations are awesome. Check it out yourself at ducttape.me forward slash Monday. 
I'm a fanboy when it comes to Drucker. I just wish yeah. I could have met him in, before he passed away because it's wow. So when we look at this, yeah, as Catherine was saying, this whole concept of being holistic and looking at those different dynamics and thinking about the company, because when you have an 80 to 90% business failure rate out there and 74% of American adults don't like what they do. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, when a company comes to the end where it's, I, I have to close the doors, whether I'm bankrupt or not, we can't stay open anymore. You're not happy. You're miserable. Your dreams are shot. You wasted a lot of money. You wasted a lot of time. Our egos are shot. And if you started a business, you had a healthy ego in the beginning, probably. Most of (laughs) us do. And that's just something that we're just trying to figure out. How do we help stop that problem and encourage it? And most of the time you have this, what is called by the guy who wrote E-Myth, Michael Gerber, Mm -hmm. an entrepreneurial seizure. Yeah. And they're not paying attention to all the different areas of the business, but it shouldn't be that scary. And there needs to be more training in the world. And there's starting to become more books out there. But when we started, there really wasn't enough that included all of those dynamics plus how to be a good leader. Yeah. And we really came, we came at this from having gone through, obviously everyone builds stuff out of their own lessons, right? So the most painful experiences become the catalyst for how you Uh, begin to adjust how you think or go, wow, I have to really rework that thing. So for us, one of the catalysts was that there was an 18-month period back in the 2007 timeframe, heading into the Great Recession. We grew 400% in a space of 18 months, which, okay, on the surface, sounds like the entrepreneurial dream. Like this is Inc. Magazine worthy 400% in 18 months. Oh my gosh. Okay. Everybody wants that. But ultimately what we discovered during that that incredible growth spurt was that we hired badly because we were just desperate to keep up. We didn't have the leadership skills to keep things moving forward. We didn't have the systems in place to accommodate that level of growth and continue to serve clients well. So bit by bit, it was just this like agonizing place where we came to a point where here's this business that we built. We've been in it six years by then. And we didn't want to cross the threshold Monday morning to go to work. And we had plenty of profit. And like in sometimes you grow that fast, you make 10 million or you make a million and it takes costs you 1.2 million to do it. And it wasn't that we had, (laughs) we had taken on some debt to to as well. Absolutely. We (laughs) had plenty of extra cash flow and the bank account was actually filling up. So we were funding it all, but we were absolutely miserable and we didn't want to come to work. And so we made a decision. We came to the point where are we going to shut this whole thing down or what? Mm-hmm. And we came off of the bubble and the business over two years grew 50%, mm-hmm. but we went to 400 and came to 200. And we started reinvesting in ourselves, in our leadership, mm-hmm. in our knowledge of what it was. Cause it wasn't like when the river, just almost the water level drops so much, you can see all the dirt bars and everything else that you can get stuck on. And we found all these things with that growth that was causing us to get stuck and went, okay, now let's go fix those things because now they're really clear beginning of that holistic model is this idea of vision first. And obviously that's well-worn advice for a lot of people. But one of the things I've discovered certainly is that it's very, it's probably the hardest thing you can ask a business owner to, to, to create because most of them just do something because they got fired because they knew how to do something because something seemed like an opportunity. And vision seems to be one of those things in my experience that it just takes time to mature. I don't think anybody can sit down and say, I'm going to start a business and this is our vision. Very few people anyway. And I think just like you guys, I I feel like as I'm listening to your story, vision came after the stumble. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. There, there was parts of it that were there before, and I'm going to say 25% was there before and 75% after. Yeah. And what we, one of the things that we do with our clients now, matter of fact, we came into this interview out of a work session, doing a two day workshop, prepping a two day workshop just on vision, because you start to ask those questions. First of all, have you been in business for a while? Or are you just starting? Because mm-hmm. the first yeah. thing you want to do is make enough money to just pay the bills and, and survive. <laughs> and so then you start walking into, okay, what are the elements? And the first thing we teach people is really stuff that we've learned about four elements. And that is making sure your core purpose is in place, your core values are in place, and your BHAG, which is that, what do I want this to become in 10, 15, 20 years? What am I really working towards? Mm-hmm. And then try and give yourself and your team a detailed description of that. The first half of that has to be started in the beginning. And you have to say, what is it we're in business to do today? That may shift as we're trying to find our market and find our customers and find right. our niche. But you've got to know what are the things that are the go or no goes for you? Where are your core values in that? If you can start to understand those in the beginning and then guess at a BHAG, and then over the next three, four, five years, you can let that refine and go, oh, this is really what I want. Oh, this is really my niche. And this is these are the opportunities I could have and how I could make an impact in my life, my family's life, and maybe in the community and the customers I serve. And it's that evolution, the way you were talking about, I think is a good way of putting it. Yeah. But that values piece is, it becomes so important, especially early on, because what we'll say, what we teach our clients is you really have to hire, train and fire to core values. If you haven't articulated what those are, if you don't know where your boundaries are, like your line, like if you cross this line with me, you're dead. But if you haven't articulated that, it's pretty hard to hold someone to it. And it's pretty hard to know how to hire to those kinds of things. So obviously our perspective is that you, it, having a values-based company, because we talk about profit, purpose, and legacy. So really that rooted in, in just your value system is a really key piece that we would want people to start working out actually fairly early in their entrepreneurial journey. And I'd say that most of the time when, you, when we run into business owners who the company, they no longer lead the company, but they work for the company's taken over their lives and they're a slave <laughs> to it. Somewhere along the line, when the conversation gets unearthed, there was a core value that they were, they let customers or employees, or they just let the business step on. Yeah. And then they just kind of got backed into a corner and they didn't know how to come back from it. And if they had maybe thought through that more in the beginning, they may not have crossed the line or they may have figured out they'd cross the line a lot quicker so they could get back over. And I think one of the, the, the key sort of attributes that, that, most entrepreneurs end up having, whether they know it or not in the beginning, is resilience. And I think that's that's really what it takes. It takes oh, every yeah. day, but it certainly takes that to get back, to realize you're off course and to get back on track, doesn't it? Yeah, it takes a lot of courage. And I think we've just seen part of the reason that we do this like passion and provision thing is because we've also seen a lot of entrepreneurs and heard story after story of the person who says what to their wife or husband, you know what, I just need five years to build this thing. And then we're going to be able to sell it. We're going to be rich. We can do whatever we want. We just need to sacrifice sacrifice for five years. And then they get to the end of that five years and their spouse is no longer part of their lives because they sacrifice that relationship for the sake of making money. So how do you hold intention the need to make money with not destroying your life to do it and ultimately ending up with a pile of ash, right? A lot of money, but a pile of ash in your life. So let's let's talk about, we can end on the topic of money. Probably nothing trips business owners up 
more except the accountants who get into business and they can actually read those. I know they like money. Um, <laughs> but so that's one. That's an area that I would say probably seventy five percent. I'm just making this number up, but of business owners, that's an area that they don't like. They don't want to pay attention to, causes some emotional stress around. And yet, most people will tell you if you're not tracking that, if you're not all over that part of every any business, then you probably aren't. You use the profit word. <laughs> you know, there's probably not going to be any profit because you're yeah. spending everything that comes in. So how do you take those business owners who are really reluctant and coming to that? Well, I've got a bookkeeper. I'm not really sure what they do, or I've got an accountant that does my taxes. How do you get those people realizing that this is a key component of running the business? A lot of times what we see is people are, they didn't have any education or they had right. poor education. So you've got a couple of things. First of all, you start dealing with what are your emotions attached to money. It's a little right. touchy feely and, and it's hard because a lot of people, I don't want to deal with my emotions when it comes to my business, but I'm like, your business kicks up a lot of your emotions. Yeah. And so first asking that and going, okay, what is it about this topic that you don't want to engage in? And then second, a lot of us just don't have a lot of great, we go into business without a lot of great money skills. How do we manage money? How do, what are the books? And when you just sit down and you try and understand them out of a Quicken or anything else, it's very confusing and it's easier to just go, I, I don't know how to do this. So teaching them about their emotions, getting them to realize that if what's going to grow is the, the very things that you're tracking. So you've got to track it and then starting to give them some basic, simple skills on you need these three to five reports. Mm -hmm. This is how they work. This is how you get them. And when you get them and you get comfortable with it, you can start seeing in an hour a week where things are and more often than not, when you start doing that, it actually gives you more confidence, not less. Yeah. And, and really to pile on that point, I, I went to a, a great high school. I went to a four-year college, got a liberal arts degree. I, I didn't take a single class that had anything to do with even balancing a checkbook, let alone a financial reporting. And I, most, many business owners pretty much have to learn that in the streets. And in most universities, even that we're dealing with, we live in a university town. I love the fact that and even our daughter went to a university and got a business degree, but most of what they're teaching is how do you be a member of a large corporation? Right. Their case studies are mm -hmm. large corporations. And except for a very small percentage of people, you're never going to be in a position in a large corporation where you're going to have any access or influence on the balance sheet or right. the income statement or anything. <laughs> so it's not even helpful. So even when you do that, you come into a small business, okay, how does this apply? And there just mm -hmm. needs to be some good coaching with a lot of encouragement going, you can do this. Well, and the yeah. illusion is that the larger companies have this all sorted out. So just a super quick story. We were working with a company that was an $8 million organization. And they, they wanted us to market a certain thing. And when we began to dig in and talk about their financials, we discovered that what they wanted us to market was less than 10% of their actual yeah. intake yeah. and really didn't have a lot of space to grow. And until we showed them that and visually represented it, they were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't invest quite that. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe we really should spend some time over here. So even larger companies lose track of what's really bringing in the cash. How do we break out the, the different accounts streams so that we know what to leverage and, and what's most profitable? So we teach some of those core skills. That, that's easy, of course, to do because you fall in love with that one thing or whatever, and you get tired of the stuff that's probably making you all the money half the time. So Catherine so, and Michael, tell people where they can find out more about about your work and obviously pick up a, a, a copy of Fulfilled. And we'll have 
uh, links in the show notes because I think you even have some purchase bonuses and things like that. Absolutely. So to find out more about us, you can go to halfabubbleout.com. And there's a link there. You can get to the book and purchase the book. The book is right now, if you come to the website, free plus shipping and handling. And mm-hmm. on top of that, it is, we've got two or three different bonuses that are going to be just extra things to say thanks for buying it that will be helpful and educational in the middle of that. And then if uh, you're interested in anything else, halfabubbleout.com again talks about all our services and who we are and, and introduces you to the world where we just call it the bubble. Awesome. Thanks so much for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you one of these days when we're all back out there on the road again. Oh, thanks so much for having us. This was fun. All right. So that wraps up another episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And you know, we love those reviews and comments and just generally tell me what you think. Also, did you know that you could offer the Duct Tape Marketing System, our system to your clients and build a complete marketing, consulting, coaching, business, or maybe level up an agency with some additional services. That's right. Check out the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that Offer Our System to Your Clients tab. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.